So, stress dreams, uh, you know, we, we've talked about them twice, um, and uh, guess what? This week, another one of those. Another one of those kinds of dreams, um, and, and you know, this, I won't tell you the details, it was just one of those dreams. But, but I, I do think that when we dream, God is talking to us, he's saying things to us, he's never given me one of those dreams where I woke up and said, God spoke to me. I, I wish he had, he, he's, he's never done one once. But I do think our dreams are what often comes when we are processing something. And as we've gone through this winsome series, I've got to say that I've had to really examine my own heart about how passionate I really am about people that don't know Jesus. And, and I've had to discover in myself that, that sometimes I'm not that passionate about them. And, and, I'm, and I said to God, how can that be? I mean, let's face it, I'm a follower of Jesus and we should all be passionate, but, but I'm also a pastor. And, and, and it's been so great for me as we've gone through the series to be spoken to by God about what's really going on inside my own heart, not just what's going on in the church and the world. And so it's been a, a fantastic journey and I'm looking forward to, to next Sunday where I'm not gonna have to dream the dream about the sermon. Jacques is going to because he's preaching. So he, I'm gonna have nice dreams this week. But if you haven't been around, you will know that we are talking about something that we believe is absolutely fundamental. Something that is absolutely, deeply fundamental to every human being in the whole world. We've called it the irreducible minimum. And it's this, that more than anything else in the whole world, including physical survival, people need Jesus. People need Jesus. Every single human being is brought into this world by God in order for this to happen, that they can know God and love him and have an eternal relationship with him. We, we, we need to keep reminding ourselves that this is not just a irreducible minimum, it needs to become our irreducible minimum, that people need Jesus. And the truth is, as Jacques said to us, if we as a church, if any church doesn't practice that, if any church doesn't put that into reality in the way each of us live and spend time with other people, eventually the church will die because, because more people need to come and know who Jesus is. And so we've begun to talk the language of how we're going to do that. We're going to do that through investing and inviting. Now, if you are already sharing Jesus with people in other ways, please don't stop doing that. Please do it all the time and often. But as a church community, we believe that we, every single one of us, can invest in people. We can have really fantastic, deep, intimate relationships with all sorts of people to show them who Jesus is. And through that, being able to share the, our stories of how Jesus has changed our lives and begin to answer some of their questions about what Jesus has done for us. And then we can invite them to church. 
We can invite them, if this is our home church, we can invite them here, or we can invite them to our life group, or as you've already heard from Moira, Alpha, which is going to be starting in just a few weeks' time. Alpha, people, Alpha. What a fantastic opportunity to be able to bring people and say, hey, come and have a meal with us. Come, let's talk about those questions you have about Jesus. But there's all sorts of other things. Over the, the next few over the rest of this year, from time to time, we're gonna have special services where we're gonna say, this is an opportunity to invite your friends. They will hear the gospel here. Bring them to church all the, the rest of the time as well. But there are all sorts of, re, of, of places you and I can invite people to. Do they really want to be here though? I mean, that, that's one of the questions we have to ask ourselves. I mean, it's all very well to say, you know, come. Why should they? I don't know if you're like me, I have some really great friends who know I'm a pastor and I keep inviting them to church and they have excuses. You know, they do and they feel even worse because I'm the pastor, so you know, I've, and, and now they've got to say no to me, but they keep coming up with excuses. And so should I give up on them? No, I should not. And I'll tell you why. Because every single human being in this world has an irrepressible longing. Every single human being in this world has an irrepressible longing. But the truth is that irrepressible longing doesn't actually start with them. It starts even before any of us were created. There was an irrepressible longing and that irrepressible longing isn't actually in human beings to start with, it's in God. That irrepressible longing that I'm gonna talk about in a minute doesn't actually start in human beings, it starts in God himself. This is God's longing. 2 Peter 3 verse nine says this, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone, everyone to come to repentance. I've got to confess, I, I, the idea that God longs for something feels weird to me, you know, because we know who God is. He's eternal and he's immortal and he's and he's omniscient and omnipotent and all of that, and if you don't know what those words mean, you can ask me afterwards. But that God has longings. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish. God himself does not want a single person to not know him. God longs that every single individual in the whole world will know him and love him and follow him and be in relationship with him eternally. That irrepressible longing starts in God's heart. But we are made in God's image. I love that. Some days I feel like I'm doing a good job of that. Most days I feel like I'm doing an awful job of that. But, but I, all of us are made in God's image. 
And because we are made in God's image, I believe every single human being has that same longing. Now I know that we, we use a cliche, everybody has a Jesus-shaped hole in their hearts. Now that's a bit of a cliche, but, but in a sense it's true. Problem is most people don't know it's Jesus-shaped. Most people think it's money-shaped or car-shaped or relationship-shaped or something. But listen to what it says in Ecclesiastes 3, verse 11. It says this, that God, he has also set eternity in the human heart. He has set eternity in the human heart. It's why. Wherever you go, you find people practicing religion. It's why wherever you go in the world, people do things to somehow connect with the invisible, to somehow connect with with a God that they often can't define and don't know, but they're there. The interesting thing is that even in the completely secularized West, where, where people claim to be atheists, and, 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 and strongly against any kind of religion. People keep saying, yes, but I'm very spiritual. I don't believe in God, I don't believe in this, I don't believe in that, but I'm very spiritual. Why? Because God has set eternity in the human heart. Because he longs that we will have a relationship with him. And because we are made in his image, we long to have a relationship with him. We just don't know how. And so I think that that's another wonderful opportunity for us as human beings. Last week we talked about our, 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 our irrefutable argument of what Jesus has done for us. And and we talked about our irresistible lifestyle. And today, I want us to talk about how we can respond to that longing. And there's a beautiful passage, it's found in Acts chapter 17, that tells a story of how one person responded to that longing in human beings. This is a story about the apostle Paul, and it reads as follows. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, He was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this blabber trying to say? What is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus. There they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears and we'd like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Sounds like Facebook, doesn't it? Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, people of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. 
For I, as I walked around and looked carefully at the, your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. Paul knows this, that everybody is searching all the time. You see, he, he, he doesn't need to wait for a church to have been set up. In fact, the reason Paul is in Athens is that, is that he had to leave uh, his previous place that he was in, and you can look at it because of a riot. Um, and, and so he, he had to run away. The rest of the apostles stayed there in Berea, and they hung around a little bit, and they said, Paul, you go on because you're causing too much trouble, bro, and go and wait for us there. So he hadn't gone there specifically on God's mission. He'd gone there and he was waiting. He was waiting for the other guys with the plan to come and they were gonna, they were gonna plant a church. But while he's waiting, he knows that even, even when I'm sitting having coffee with somebody, even when I'm with a colleague at work, even when I'm going for a run with some friends, even when I'm, I'm with the other moms at school in our prayer group, even when I'm, I'm behind the counter serving somebody, I am looking at an individual that has in them an irrepressible longing that everyone is searching all the time. And they may not know how to say it, but it may come out in a question. It may come out in, how are you doing with this COVID-19 thing? <coughs> so just so that you know, my wife works in a hospital and she got screened yesterday, okay? So at least half of my family's okay. I wanna say this, the best thing you can do about COVID-19 is wash your hands as if you had just been made cutting up chilies to make something really hot and now you need to take your contact lenses out. <laughs> That's how you should wash your hands. But, but, but when people, the opportunities folks are there all the time. When people talk about their desire for their new car, their better this, their more that, they worry about the country, a lot of what that conversation is about is I'm missing something that I'm trying to find and maybe I can find it overseas. Maybe I can find it with a new car. Maybe I can find it with a new relationship. Maybe I can find it there. But everybody is searching all the time. And so Paul doesn't waste his time in Athens waiting for his friends. He says, I know that these people have this longing and I'm going to, ex I'm going to exploit it. I'm going to use it. And so what does he do? He steps into their world. So very often, we as human beings, especially as Christians, we wanna hang back. We don't wanna get tainted by the world. We don't wanna be associated with that group or those people. We're afraid somebody's gonna see us doing something that they think we shouldn't be doing, and so, so we retreat. We say to people, come to us. But Paul doesn't do that. Paul steps into their world. Listen to how he says it in that passage. He was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. He looked around at the city and, and it hurt him. He was so distressed, there were so many idols. And so he steps into the world and he says, so he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks. 
Isn't it interesting, he sees all these idols, but then he doesn't go and speak directly to the idol worshipers. He speaks to the God-fearing Greeks and Jews. He starts in a place, I think, where he can learn more about the, the lifestyle, the, the society. And, and, and so he starts preaching to people who at least will have a connection with the story. But in the meantime, he's learning about this society because he knows he can step into their world. Folks, we have to learn to be like Jesus when he steps into people's world. And he just doesn't do it theoretically. When he steps into a leper's world, what does he do to the leper? He touches them because he knows that that's one of the ways you can tell them, I'm here, I love you, I really care for you enough that I will even touch you when I'm actually religiously not supposed to do that. He goes into people's houses. When he sees Zacchaeus up the tree, he doesn't give him a lecture. He says, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house today. And everybody goes, wow. Over and over, Jesus is accused of compromising because he steps into people's worlds and we can begin to fill that void or help people understand what that void is by stepping into their world just like Paul did. He doesn't just stop there, he goes on. He's in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. I love that. He's in the marketplace day by day. So he's gone from God-fearing Jews and Greeks to the people who happen to be there. And as he gets to know this world, he, he discovers a group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Okay, most of us can step out at this point, me included, because that, but, but we shouldn't, because God will use him. They also just thought he was a babbler. They mocked him. Like talking junk, man, he's not as good at this as we are. Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news of Jesus and the resurrection. Not only is Paul stepping into their world to discover what this, this whole looks like for them, but he also begins to learn to understand their world. One of the things I love about the transformation that's busy happening in our church is we are beginning to learn about other people's worlds. I grew up as a youngster in a world that, to be honest, taught me that to be a member of the ANC would be impossible. You can't be a Christian and be a member of the ANC. That's the world I grew up in. And I've just loved the fact that if last year, as we listened in, in that series we did on life verse, that, that one of the folk in our church stood up and talked about when he was arrested because he was part of a group protesting, that he ended up in a prison cell with a bunch of other people who'd been arrested because they were members of the ANC, and he met Jesus in that cell. You see, we begin to learn what we think is other people's story perhaps isn't. And we begin to learn that things we've been told are perhaps not. And it was lovely for me to be able to talk to that person afterwards and say, John, I grew up thinking that if you were a white South African, you couldn't really be a Christian. But I've learned something new. And folks, we can step in and we can begin to understand other people's world Verse nine, then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus where they said to him, 
May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears and we would like to know what they mean. Why? Because they loved to debate. And so Paul says, I'm gonna learn your world. I'm gonna understand what it's like to be you. And then comes the really important step. Paul says, now I want to help you understand this longing that you have. I want to help you understand this longing that you have. You see, he, he's watched this world now and he's, he noticed that, that statue to the unknown God. And, and, and he came to realize that despite the fact that they had all these gods and they were so clever and they, and they could debate and, and, and they could probably beat him in debates, they had in this one corner this thing that said, we aren't completely sure about all of this, so we want to cover all our bases. And so we're gonna put the statue up to an unknown God. And Paul finds the shape of their longing. And he says, I found it, here it is. You guys are ignorant about who you actually worship and I want to introduce you to him. You see, that's, once people know that you love them so much that you, you want to find what's missing in their lives, you're not just being critical and you're not just telling them that they're wrong, that, but that you also are grappling with some of the same things they grapple with, you know, thinking money can solve your problems or thinking, you, you grapple with those, but, but, but I've come to understand this, that this longing that you and I both have can only be filled truly in one way, and that is through Jesus Christ. And we can point them to the truth. Listen how they respond. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered. That doesn't happen. Show me somebody who's come back from the dead. But others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. <laughs> That's quite clever, he leaves them hanging there. So I'm not, I can't argue with you guys anymore. You've, some of you have written me off, some of you want to know more, so I'm, I'm gonna step out but there'll be another conversation. Some of the people began, became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysus, a member of the Areopagus, and a woman called Damaris, and a number of others. Folks, when we sh invest and invite, there's never a 100% success rate. But if we never invite, there will never be any success rate there will be zero unless we invest and invite, unless we step into other people's worlds and help them understand their longing and begin to understand that God can change them like he changed us, unless we are prepared to be winsome and love people, none of them will ever have this experience that Dionysus and Damaris and a number of others had because everybody has this longing every day. And we know the God who can fill that longing. You know, you know how I wanna end 
today. I want us to end by celebrating the God who fills that longing in people. I'm gonna invite the worship team to come up. I'm gonna invite us as we, as we come to the end of the sermon that, that we celebrate a God who longs that every single person should know him and that has put eternity in every single person's heart and that you and I can help them by investing in them and loving them and pointing them to Jesus, we can invite them into an eternal relationship with the God of the universe. Let's pray together as we begin to worship God. Thank you for your goodness and your grace, your love and your mercy. Thank you, Lord, that you have put eternity in our hearts that we are here because there was an eternal longing in us and somebody invested in us, somebody spoke to us, somebody loved us, somebody explained to us what, why that hole was there. God, we wanna celebrate you and tell you that we love you and, and show that, that we too want to long like you do, that none should perish but that everybody should have eternal life.